Place your hand over your heart. Just pray, Lord, make my heart fertile ground. Come on again, Lord, make my heart fertile ground. Father, tonight we ask for the 30, the 60, the hundredfold increase that comes when. We have ears to hear. Help us to be those who listen well, who have eyes to see you, ears to hear you, hearts to know you more. We only know what you reveal to us. Pray Ephesians 1.17 for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of who you are. We don't just want information. We want to know You. We want to know You. Come on in your own way to say, God, I want to know You. We want to know You, God. Come on. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. We don't want to have big heads and tiny hearts. We pray that we wouldn't just abound in knowledge, but fill us with your agape love tonight. We ask Romans 5, 5, the Holy Spirit has filled your heart with the love of God. We're asking for the experience of our hearts being filled with your love, your agape love tonight. We want to know you. We don't just want to know things about you. We want to know you. Paul said, I count everything else garbage 
I just want to know Jesus. We want to know you tonight, Jesus. Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus tonight. And everything that's said tonight, in any closing worship, moments of prayer, Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus tonight. thinking about just this week you know what happens when you get filled with the holy spirit or holy spirit shows up you become thoroughly christ-centered the holy spirit loves jesus and he loves to reveal and exalt the son he loves to bear witness to testify to jesus so holy spirit come reveal jesus to our hearts Make us a Christ-centered people. We don't just want to have words. We want to have reality, God. We want to be a people of spiritual reality. Who don't just have words and phrases. Move us beyond something that sounds good, but it's not rooted in reality. Take our hearts into a deeper encounter with you tonight. why we stay in this place for a second. I was reading this week about a pastor who was counseling a young girl who was dealing with anxiety and loneliness and just a whole host of things. And he was telling her, you know, as a good pastor would about how Jesus loves her and that love is constant. And she goes, yeah, but what good is that if I can't get even a single boy at school to ask me out? And he said something so profound to that girl, the lack of love that she's receiving from these guys, the lack of validation and attention, they're more real to her than the love of Christ. And, and I don't say this judgmentally. I know often our hearts are in that place where it's like, that's so nice. You love me, Jesus. But you're not like as real as these, the other things. He's more real. And so as we're praying, Jesus, I want to know you and I want to know spiritual reality and not just phrases and language. Jesus, we're asking that you would be more real to us than anything in this world because you are. Everything in this world that we can see came from him, which means that he's of more substantial reality than the things that are made. He's ultimate reality. So, Lord, may your love and your worthiness move our hearts in a way that nothing in this earth can. In Jesus name. Amen. All right. You guys can go ahead and grab your seat. And uh, we're going to be in Matthew 13 tonight, parable of the sower, starting in verse 1. All right, here's my warning, and it's ironic. If you're familiar with the parable of the sower and the four types of soil, don't tune out because you're familiar, because the irony would be that you're missing the point of the parable. The whole point of the parable is... 
be fertile soil that listens carefully and pays attention so that you can bear a harvest, what familiarity has a tendency to do is cause us to not listen. So by tuning out, you're like, oh, I know this parable, you would actually be cutting against the very message that the parable is trying to get across. Be careful how you listen, right? So let's come to this parable, whether it's your first time ever hearing it or your hundredth time, as if you've never heard it before, that the Lord has something he wants to give you tonight. So Matthew 13, starting in verse 1, says this. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. And such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the footpath and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So let's break this down real quick. The seed is the gospel of the kingdom or the word of God. It's the word that Jesus went around preaching. It's interesting that it's Jesus preaching Jesus, essentially. He's the core meaning of the parables that everything points back to him, right? And, you know, he's always preaching, repent and believe the good news of the kingdom. And his disciples pick up that message and they say, repent and believe in Jesus, right? Jesus is the king of the kingdom. They're one and the same. The field is the world and the soil is the condition of our hearts, which affects how we hear and respond to the message of Christ. So the four types of soil explain why the same word can go out in a room like this and have all different types of responses, right? I want you to think about it this way. Imagine that four friends come to Ignite on a Sunday night and afterwards they go to Waffle House, right? And friend number one 
is sitting there and he wasn't paying attention at all. Right. And so like literally the word has already been lost on him. It has. He didn't understand it. He wasn't listening to it. He has ears, but he wasn't hearing. He wasn't paying attention. He's unchanged. None of his paradigms were challenged on that night. And therefore it bears zero fruit in his life. Right. Friend number two is hyped up on the message. Like, man, I think my life is so changed and it's, it's crazy. And you talk to them three o'clock in the afternoon on the next day and they're exactly the same. Nothing has changed. They were excited about the message. They were enthusiastic about the message, but it didn't take root and nothing actually changed in their life. Right. Friend number three, like the message actually took root. They received it, but all of a sudden they get midway through the semester and let's say they're in their senior year and they're about to graduate and the pressure of I've got a job coming and, you know, I've been dating so-and-so for seven months. And is he going to pop the question? And I don't know about this over here. And all this stuff is not bad stuff. These are, understand, these are not sinful things. But like weeds, they start competing for the resources that the seed needs. And they choke out the sunlight and the rain. And because of good things, not even sinful things, the seed is choked out. And it bears no fruit. Okay. The last person maybe isn't even like, they're, they're, they're digesting, right? And it's like maybe you don't even see immediate change in their life. But over time, it's, it's de- like developing a root system in their life. And it's starting to crop up. And a year later, you talk to that person. And it's like, I don't remember you answering an altar call that night. But your life is different. Something changed on the inside of you, right? It's sometimes we don't actually know the result, the fruitfulness of how somebody's responding to a message until mm-hmm. years later. Right. So I want you to understand, but it's all based on the condition of our heart and how we're listening and paying attention. Jesus, if he doesn't have your attention, he probably doesn't have your heart. Right. And or or he doesn't have a chance at getting your heart. So I'm not saying if you're distracted, Jesus doesn't have your heart. We got to get distracted on the daily. Like, you know what I mean? Half of my prayers. Jesus, I'm sorry for getting distracted. Like after five minutes and coming back. So I'm not saying if you ever get distracted, but I'm saying if you're not giving Jesus any of your attention, How do his words have an opportunity to come in and penetrate your heart and bring about change, right? One of the first things I want to take note of in this parable is the way that God is indiscriminate in scattering seeds. He's so generous, he scatters seed on all four types of soil. Think about that. You would think that God in his foreknowledge, knowing how people are going to respond, would only invest his seed in the perfect type of soil. But... John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. And remember, the field is the world that he gave that which was most precious to him. His one and only begotten son that whosoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. And it's like Jesus was given for the sake of the whole world. And you see all through the Gospels and really in the chapters right leading up to Matthew 13, almost all four types of responses from the people that he went to. Places where Jesus performed crazy miracles and they still did not repent. God in the flesh, walking amongst them, teaching as the greatest rabbi to ever walk the earth, the greatest prophet, one greater than Moses amongst them, and people who didn't repent and who left the exact same. People who stood at a distance while Jesus is teaching, what does this guy know about reality? Right? And then there was people who were excited, but if you came back that time next week, they were right back in the same stuff. And then there is people who seem to go the distance with Jesus but didn't make it to the end. And then you have people who, despite all their failings and shortcomings, kept coming back to Jesus. People like Peter who actually endured to the end. 
And likewise, Jesus sent his disciples to towns and cities that gladly received them, as well as to those that drove them out and persecuted them. Okay? The gospel confronts our ideas of who's in and who's out. You can't judge by outward appearances. I, I always laugh when somebody's like telling me, especially if I have like my sleeves down or they just forget. And they're like, yeah, you wouldn't believe. Like one time I was in a little a pastor's meeting and this guy was describing this event. And he was like trying to describe how like much these people were scoundrels and how rough they were. Like they were covered in tattoos. <laughs> like, you know, like I just described that. Like are we describing the profile of bad people, you know? It's like, I was a pastor at the time. You know, I remember leaving Billy Graham. I don't know if you've ever been to the Billy Graham library. And coming out of the last exhibit, which is like a short snippet of Billy Graham preaching the gospel, and they have these older gentlemen there, and they're so sweet. And the guy met so well, standing there to ask if you want to respond. And they like zeroed in on me because I was a tattooed guy. Yes. And I think I was with my parents. My mom was like, oh, he's actually a pastor. And like, it was just, the gospel confronts our ideas of who's in and who's out. In other words, church clothes can't tell you anything. Right? right? And, and especially in the cultural South. Right? So sometimes the, God, the, the word is preached to a bunch of pagans in Nineveh and the whole city repents yeah. and 120,000 people yeah. get saved on a poorly preached sermon, right? It's the mercy of God. Sometimes Jeremiah is faithfully weeping in the street to God's covenant people and no one responds, right? The gospel confronts our idea of who's in and who's out. In the days of Jesus' ministry, sometimes the prostitutes, tax collectors, and notorious sinners respond in repentance and faith while the righteous elite are standing at a distance with their arms crossed. Okay? So I want to ask you, and again, between the two extremes, we know that there's also those who began with Jesus but didn't finish with him. Where's your heart at tonight? I want to ask you tonight as we keep pressing into this Matthew 13, where's your heart at? Is the message of Jesus at home in your heart? Has it taken root? And here's the real way that you know if it's taken root. Is it bearing fruit? Jesus said that you would know his true disciples by their fruit. Can good trees produce bad fruit and can bad trees produce good fruit? He said you would know the quality of someone's life by the fruit that it's producing. So I want to dive back into these four soils. The first one, the path. This would literally be like taking a seed and trying to plant it into the sidewalk outside, right? Like trying to take a brick home and plant, you know, a seed in the brick. It's not going to work very well. The heart is closed to Jesus' message and the seed is quickly snatched away by the enemy. This person's ears are closed to Jesus' message so that they cannot hear. And, and the reason for our hardness can be persistent disobedience. So you think about like Pharaoh where it's like he had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And yet each time he got like more and more entrenched in his rebellion. And so it's like eventually he just couldn't even hear the message and he gets destroyed. It could be a total refusal to pay attention where it's like just an unwillingness to listen. It could be unbelief. It could be offense. We saw that people in Jesus' hometown first believe, but then like, wait, isn't this the son of Joseph, the carpenter? Like we've known Jesus his whole life and they're offended at Jesus' message. You know, I talked to different Muslim students on campus and praying for their salvation, but to them, the whole idea that Jesus would die on a cross, like God would never let one of his prophets, it's an offensive message. Paul said that the cross itself is an offensive message. It's foolishness to the Greeks and a stumbling block to the Jews, yet it is the wisdom and the power of God unto salvation. So some people, because of the offensiveness that God would reveal himself naked, hanging on a tree, like pull their heart back. But it's like, will we receive him as he comes? Right. So it could be offense and many other reasons. Uh, Hardness can express itself in familiarity that is tuned out indifference or open hostility. So hardness doesn't always look the same. 
right? Hardness doesn't look like the radical atheist who seems to hate God. Hardness on this campus, as I've talked to many, many people about Jesus, often expresses itself in total indifference. Total indifference. Just such spiritual apathy, they could care less. Or it could be open hostility. Or it could be, in the cultural South, hello, such familiarity that you've tuned out. I've heard this message before. Yeah, I kind of know the thing about him dying on the tree. But there was never in all those hearings a time where you actually responded to it. Where it ever actually got personal and you realized it was your sins that he was hanging on the tree for. There was never a point of actually turning. You prayed a prayer when you were five years old. And then you went on living exactly the same afterwards. Mm -hmm. And it's like you bought fire insurance to not go to hell. But there's no relationship, no tenderness. Jesus' message is not at home in your heart. I remember talking to someone out here one time. And we were doing the whiteboard thing. And he indicated at first that he was a Christian. And we got a little bit further because he was saying, yeah, but I don't agree with this. I don't agree with this, whatever. And I just finally said, but is Jesus Lord? And he looked me square in the eye. He said, no. Five minutes ago, you said you're a Christian, a Christ follower. Now you're saying Jesus is not Lord. I said, so are you Lord? And he goes, yeah, I kind of like making my own decisions. Is the message of Jesus at home? Right? Such familiar. I've heard this before. Hearing is not the same thing as the message actually being at home in your heart. Right? So this hardness can express itself in different ways. Calluses don't grow overnight. They develop over time. Yeah, I used to be really into powerlifting. I was a strength coach before I got into ministry. And I remember I used to love deadlifting. It's probably my best lift because I'm built kind of like monkey. I've got long arms and just to help me just a shorter distance pulling the bar. I'm terrible at bench press. Okay, so but I remember from all the deadlifting, my hands used to be just ripped open, like literally like blood on my like hands until guess what happened? Calluses built and all of a sudden deadlifts didn't hurt anymore. And it's like, but that took a long time for calluses and pads to start to build up over my hand. And in the same way, it's usually not a first time interaction with the gospel that causes someone's heart to immediately harden. But it's over time, persistent, either rebellion, indifference or familiarity that causes someone's heart to grow callous. Right. Uh, Also important for us to be aware of on a college campus, Tim Keller describes what he calls the hidden belief web of secularity. This way, he says, the late modern mind presents itself as something like this. We have come to realize that we don't need God to explain the world we see. Science does that for us. We don't need God or religion to be moral, to love and work for a better world or to have meaning and fulfillment in life. What we need is to be free to live life as we see fit and to work together to make the world a better and more just place to live. Religion gets in the way of all this. It constrains our freedom to live as we wish and divides us so we can't work together. Whether people would say that out loud or not, that kind of secular ethic is running rampant on this campus and it creates a plausibility structure into which when the gospel comes as the true solution for man's condition, they're not aware of their condition so they can't even hear what they don't think they need, right? They, they've just created a world in which God doesn't live so the fact that they're not reconciled to God, they don't have peace with God, right? It's like and Jesus comes as an answer to something they don't even realize they need an answer for. Does that make sense? So the shallow soil would be, this would be receives again Jesus at first with joy, but quickly falls away because of troubles and persecution. I think when we're preaching the gospel, it's really important to tell people up front that following Jesus does not mean exemption from troubles or hardship. 
Okay? Because that's preparing people for a false type of discipleship. We don't get up here and do car salesman pitches that follow Jesus, you know, say a quick prayer and everything gets really easy. In some ways, it may actually make your life significantly more difficult, but more worth it. Anything worth it is always hard, right? And I think we've created a dichotomy between hard and worth it, right? It's like almost always the most worthwhile things are difficult, right? And Jesus prepared his followers for hardship. He said in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus also said, Matthew 10, you will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Imagine Jesus is standing in front of you. He's like, hey, you want to follow me? Everyone's going to hate you. But if you make it to the end, you're going to be saved, right? That's not a sales pitch, right? But if you understood who is actually standing in front of you, it's like, man, the world has nothing to offer next to you, Jesus. John 15, 18 through 19, he said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Jesus also tells us, blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you you're gonna have trouble either way right i just want to say trouble with jesus is much better than trouble without jesus right so the temptation is to think that like well i just have this easy life over here that's an illusion Guys, like non-believers and believers have trouble, but trouble is actually working a type of fruit in my life when I'm following Jesus, right? And so I just want to set you up for a realistic expectation. And the persecution and troubles are only successful, get this, in destroying the plant because of a lack of rootedness. It's not the trouble and persecution themselves, but it's the lack of roots that cause them to conquer that person. Okay? So it's true that reading your Bible, as Regan said last week, and praying and fasting and engaging in Christian community don't save you, but they do help root your life in Christ. They do help you develop deep rootedness in Christ. And that's why we need the spiritual disciplines, not as a way to earn something from God, but as landing strips for more grace in our life so that we can receive more and put ourselves in position to receive from God so that we can endure to the end. Okay, We are meant to move on towards maturity. And resilient disciples are rooted people. And I want to say that the way that our culture is going right now, and this is what, with somebody who is full of hope and faith that revival is also coming, is as we become increasingly secular, if you look at Europe, especially Western Europe, like we have to learn how to be resilient disciples because it's not going to get easier to follow Jesus in the days ahead. And I actually believe that the conditions that make it hard to follow Jesus may actually be part of the equation that help birth revival. Because it will be a return to a more pure form of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And out of that revival can spring. Right? But we need to be a rooted people so that we can be resilient disciples in a culture that is adverse to following Jesus. Where it's not just culturally beneficial anymore to say I follow Jesus. But you might actually get fired from your job. Or you might lose friends. Right or popularity or get canceled or whatever. When you stand up and say, I follow Jesus in that culture rather than it earning you esteem, but it making you look like less than in the eyes of people. But Jesus says, I'm so proud of that. Right. 
You need to narrow down the voices that you're living for. Know that there's a moment coming in time where you will stand before one voice. And the only words you're going to want to hear on that day are well done. My good and fit. I, th- I would say rehearse that moment and live for that. You've probably heard me say this before. One of my favorite uh, speakers, just because I love how charismatic and just kind of wild he was, Jimmy Valvano. I know Regan, you know this speech, SB speech. If you've never listened to Jimmy Valvano's SB speech, who, who's never heard of Jimmy Valvano before? Oh, no. Okay. Okay. Oh, man. Jimmy Valvano was this larger-than-life Italian NC State basketball coach, and he's just one of the most inspiring people, period. Like, and so while he was at NC State, sometimes he was you know, on the road to – he wanted to win a national championship. Obvious. Every basketball player wants to win a national championship. Every coach, that's their goal, right? And so sometimes when you win a national championship, if you're not a college basketball fan, when you win, you hoist the coach up on your shoulders, they pull out golden scissors, and you cut down the net, signifying that, like, you own it, right? And so sometimes they would show up expecting to practice, and he would just have golden scissors in his hands. He said, today, we're just going to rehearse what it feels like to win. So they would just practice lifting each other up and cutting down the nets, getting a picture in their mind of what it felt like to win. As followers of Jesus, you're going to have ups and you're going to have downs in this life. But every once in a while, you just got to go to the finish line and rehearse in your mind what it's going to feel like to have every other voice silent and stand before the throne and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because that's what gives you courage in the here and now to walk towards that day. Okay. And I believe the other thing he would say in that speech he would say that he had a father who year after year, they would like make the 64 tournament, March Madness. And his, he'd get on the phone with his dad and he would say, son, my bags are packed. He's like, what do you mean my bags are packed? He's like, when you go to the national championship, my bags are packed. I'm going to be there to watch. And this went on like year after year, get knocked off first round, get knocked off later on. And every year it was the same thing. Dad, we made the tournament, whatever. And his dad would say, my bags are packed. He goes, well, Dad, I, I, we might not win. He goes, this year, next year, I know eventually you're going to win. I believe in you. I'm going to be there when you do it. Yeah. I want to say the great cloud of witnesses would be saying to Come you, our bags are packed. Come on. We're going to be there when you cross the finish line. Wow. And it's not going to be because you were strong enough. It's not going to be because you had what it took within yourself, but because God's grace was sufficient in your weakness. They will testify and say, yeah, Paul, I had a thorn in my side, but man, Emilio, I want to let you know there's a finish line and we're waiting for you to get here. You got to get some resolve in your spirit, right? To get some rootedness, to be resilient in this life. No matter what you face, that Jesus is the only option for you. Number three, the thorny soil. I would say this is probably most of us and myself included more often than I like to admit. It's the seed that takes root but it's eventually choked out by the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. And and there's a parallel passage in Luke 8 where he adds, and the lust for other things. It's kind of all-encompassing. The worries and the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the lust for other things. It's basically the world, right? We lose the treasure for the field. It's like we lose sight of the treasure hidden in the field because we're focused on the field, the world, right? 
But there's a treasure of infinite worth. We talked about this two weeks ago. Boundless, unsearchable riches available in Christ. And so often we lose sight of that for things that are temporary and aren't going to be here long, right? Matthew 6, Jesus tells us that you can't serve. He doesn't say you shouldn't serve. He says you cannot serve both God and money. That's right. This is an important thing for college students, kind of blunt. But when you consider why you chose the major that you did, and I'm not trying to like get you to switch your major. We, we went through a book with our student leadership team this summer called The Fuel and the Flame. And there's like this opening conversation. And I was like, I love that this guy's doing it through the book so I don't have to have these yeah. conversations. And yet here I am having this conversation. And he's like, why'd you choose your major? And the guy's like, oh, because, uh, you know, it's a good job. Well, what's the good job going to do? It's going to make good money. He's like, and then what's that going to do? It's going to, you know, buy a comfortable life for me. And he's like, so are you saying that the thing driving your life is a desire for a comfortable life? Mm-hmm. It's not the Great Commission. It's not, you know, it's not winning lost souls. It's not making disciples. It's, it's not nations. And it makes you like confronted with what is actually driving my life. The American dream or God's dream for his son. Okay. And here's the thing. Sometimes we think that it's only the rich who are susceptible to those who would like a lot of wealth. But sometimes people who have like nothing spend as much time worrying about money. I love that he says the worries and the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. They're opposite sides of the same coin. They're, they're twins, uh, to steal a phrase from a book, they're twins birthed from the same womb. They're of the same cut and stock. And at the root of both of them, the worries and the cares of this life that there's not enough, or I've got to get as much as I want, both of them represent a lack of trust in God. Yeah. And the solution is seek first the, his kingdom and his righteousness and trust your father up above who dresses the lilies of the field and who cares for the birds, Right? I was just singing this tune around my house. I'm going to embarrass myself. Whatever, I'm a dad. I don't care. Like, I just don't care. But like, I was singing this tune around my house this week. And I was just thinking like Bob Marley's Three Little Birds. And I just started singing. Don't worry about your life. That's actually not what he says. That's what Jesus says. In Matthew 6, he says, don't worry about your life. For your father up above. Looking down with love. Jesus said, don't worry. I was just saying, my heart was just getting glad walking around my house. Don't worry about your life. This is singing scripture. Your father up above is looking down with love. Jesus said, don't worry. Get that song in your heart. Don't worry about your life. Father up above is looking down with love. Jesus said, don't worry. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Spurgeon said of this third type of soil, their religion is buried beneath their worldliness. Their religion is buried beneath their worldliness. Number four is the fertile soil. It's the soil that hears, understands, and receives. The word takes root and bears a harvest 30, 60, and even 100 times greater than what was sown. And as I said at the beginning, often we don't know how we have received the word until life presents us with an opportunity to respond. So this is how this parable works out in real life. 
not for the first person because the first person wasn't even listening so they couldn't hear and the seed took no form of root in their heart, right? But imagine that I'm preaching a sermon on uh, how to respond when somebody insults you. And two weeks go by without anybody insulting you and so you haven't even really had a real opportunity to apply the word yet, right? And then all of a sudden you're in this situation. It's a day where you happen to be really tired and stressed out about something else and you relate for your appointment and somebody insults you or gives you terrible customer service. And Jesus said, if my word abides in you, right? John 15. And then he goes on and later in like John 16, he's talking about, and the Holy Spirit will call to remembrance all the things that I've spoken to you. And now all of a sudden that word that was spoken about turn the other cheek comes back and it confronts you in a real situation. And the Holy Spirit, it feels like, oh, this is the devil. This person's insulting me. And it's like, but there's a situation in front of your face. And the Holy Spirit has brought to remembrance the word that Jesus has spoken. And now you have an opportunity to show how the word is actually dwelling in your heart. At the moment of testing, will you obey and show yourself to be a true disciple and bear the fruit of righteousness? Or that seed gets choked out, right? Or show that it never actually took root, right? This is how actual Christ-like character is produced in our life. The seed goes in the barn. Situations get presented to us in life. The Holy Spirit calls to remembrance what's dwelling inside of us. And we have an opportunity to show, are we true disciples, those who hear, respond, and act in obedience, trusting the Lord in this situation. And then Christ-like fruit and character actually gets born in our life. Mm -hmm. This is how real transformation takes place in our life. Often we think we've heard and responded, but we don't know how we've actually responded until a situation is presented and we're forced to show, do we trust and obey? Yeah. Right? Or do we lean on our own understanding of those situations? Mm-hmm. How are you listening and responding to Jesus? How are you listening? I just want you to take just a couple moments to survey your life, maybe even this last week. And it's not about perfect performance, but it's kind of testing ourselves. It's like, Man, when the situations arise and the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance the things that Jesus said, do I act on what's revealed or do I go with my natural inclination and I act in the flesh? Have you heard the gospel only or have you heard and received the gospel? Has the truth of the gospel taken root in your heart? What kind of fruit is being produced in your life? And then is there any evidence in your life of the transformation that comes through the gospel? Jesus said in Matthew 13, 9, whoever has ears... Let them hear. And I don't think when he's talking about his disciples ask, why do you speak everything in parables? I don't think his desire was to keep people. 
but it's like he encased it in a form so that those who want to know the secrets of the kingdom have to lean in, right? They have to ask for understanding. They have to show some desire for that which is spoken and not just treat it as if it's casual and it doesn't matter, right? Proverbs talks about it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of a king to search it out. And I want to encourage you just on a really practical level. Get as much seed as you can in the barn, right? So that the Holy Spirit has a lot to work with in terms of bringing things to remembrance. But the point of forming Christ-like character, again, is going to come in real-life situations. The spiritual is not merely abstract, right? It fleshes itself out in real-life situations and circumstances and relationships in your life. That's where Jesus forms his character in you. That's where we show him to be truly Lord of our lives. And it's in some of those situations that people are going to see an otherworldly response demonstrating the kingdom. And they're going to be prompted to ask about the faith that you possess. And then you have an opportunity to talk about Jesus, right? And why his way is better. I want to tell you that, like, when you're tested in those moments, the, the grace a lot of times it doesn't come until it's like we take the step of faith and then all of a sudden it's like, man, there's the wind of like the Lord helping us in those situations. I want to tell you otherworldly like results come from otherworldly responses, which comes from following the counterintuitive advice of Jesus, which almost never makes sense in the natural. Right? In the, in the short, it always feels better to lash out and to say something quick. That instant gratification. Man, but I want to say that like in whatever those situations are, trust Jesus. Show yourself to be his true disciple. And, and know again that like how you respond tonight to this is like, man, it may not bear itself out in your life for three, four, five, six, seven, eight, however many months, right? But here's what you get. You build confidence. The more you trust Jesus and respond to him in obedience at the invitation of the Holy Spirit, the more you learn. His word works. His word works. His way is truly better. And you can fall in love with his leadership. Right? Nothing intuitive about the cross. Cross does not look like victory. Till the other side. Right? Father, right now in Jesus' name. We invite you. Psalm 139 as David did the psalmist, to search us and to know us. We're not asking for or trying to go on this path of self-initiated introspection where we just are digging and scratching at ourselves and becoming more focused and self-conscious. This is not our desire. Our desire is to be good soil where your word abides richly and bears good fruit. We want to move on towards maturity. We don't want to stay on milk forever. We want to, we're supposed to move on towards maturity. Yes. We ask right now, I'm sure that all of us, myself included, have weeds in our life and thorns. And, and rocks and on the soil of our heart. And we're just asking right now, Lord, that you would just uproot those things in your mercy and in your kindness to make space for your word 
to abide richly. We don't want your word to have to compete for the, for the resources, so to speak, of the sun and the rain. We, we, we want to give your word an opportunity to flourish in our hearts. May it abide richly in our hearts. We pray for the soil of this campus, those who have hard hearts and closed eyes and deaf ears. We say that there's no heart too hard for you, Lord. You can turn a generation back. We ask for you to do a miracle on this campus and in this generation. To let the tide of your spirit come in. Soften hard hearts. Open blind eyes and deaf ears to the light of your gospel. Show them the knowledge of your glory that rests in the face of Jesus Christ. Show us, Lord, that our primary occupation is maintaining living and vital connection to you. Help us to be those who abide, those who remain in the vine and bear much fruit. Help us to show ourselves to be your true disciples who remain to the end, who act in obedience on your word. in every opportunity, in every situation that presents itself this week to show ourselves your true disciples, to trust and obey. Give us grace to be led by your spirit. We ask that you'd make our lives different as a result of being people who are in Christ. We ask for our lives to be more deeply transformed by the power of your gospel. May all the fruit of the gospel be born in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Lord, we're asking for the fruit of your spirit to be born in our life. More of your love towards one another.
just want to wait for a moment. Sometimes it's just good for us to just wait on the Lord, just be in silence. Maybe there's a word or a verse or something that's just surfacing in your heart right now. We just ask, Lord, that you would speak to hearts right now. Show us, Lord, what it looks like for your word to take root in our hearts. Mm-hmm. Christ, be to us our wisdom, our righteousness, and our peace. Whether narratives and social scripts and agendas are ruling and reigning in our hearts, Or we just ask right now, uproot them. So I had a gathering before this tonight, and the person was just, I'll repeat exactly the way they said it, but I just want you to think about the shortness and therefore the triviality of things that trend. It's like an article can go viral for a day and everyone forgets by the very next day. News headlines pop up and tomorrow they're replaced by another one. Snapchat's like five, what, five seconds and gone. But the word of God endures forever. Isaiah 40 says the flowers fade and the, uh, the grass fails, but the word of God endures forever. Says all flesh is grass, but God's word endures forever. What do you want to root your life in? The fading and the failing or that which is promised to endure forever into eternal life. Jesus is the word made flesh. Let him dwell richly in your heart. Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 3. He said, pray that you'd be strengthened in your inner being through the power of the Holy Spirit. That Christ may dwell in your hearts. By faith, that you may have the power together with all God's holy people to grasp what is the height and the depth, the width and the length of his love, though it surpasses understanding. But did you catch that first part being strengthened through the power of the Holy Spirit that Christ may dwell in your hearts? Father, we ask for strength and power in the Holy Spirit 
for Christ to richly dwell in our hearts. And where Jesus dwells, he brings his rule and his reign. He brings his dominion. He brings his peace and his righteousness, his joy and his salvation. Jesus, rule and reign in our hearts and in our minds. Dwell richly in us as individuals and as a community. May the seed of your kingdom take root in our hearts. So Jesus, we just ask for help. We just say we have need of you. We ask for your help. Give us grace this week to hear you. And to obey you. to share this at the end and then we'll, we'll wrap up um you know i read stories and tell stories to ezra every night before he goes to bed and he's a fidgety little guy i'm not gonna lie like i love him to death but he's got a lot of energy <laughs> and so a lot of times like he's laying across my lap in this chair and sometimes he's literally like barrel rolls his body I'm like dude stop moving like i try to tell you a story and he always asked to like sleep with a car in his hand but i like have to get the cars out of his hand before the story starts because he'll be fidgeting with that and, you know, sometimes he'll interrupt while I'm telling a story, which, like, I want to engage, but at the same time, I like, okay, I'm trying to, like, share this story with you. It's like the story's not more important than engaging with you. But last night, I just felt, I was like, okay, Lord, like, help me in this. You know what I mean? Like, help me to, like, parent these moments. And it sounds probably trivial, and you'll realize these things when you become a parent. And it dawned on me last night. It's like, right now, I'm trying to teach my son habits for being a good listener. Mm-hmm. Which is like, yeah, this Dr. Seuss story or whatever may not be the most important thing, but it's not about the story. I'm trying to teach him how to like focus and how to listen because if he can't listen, he'll never be able to hear, you know? And it's like we live in a culture that makes it very hard for you to listen or to pay attention for any amount of time. And if you can't listen, you won't hear, yeah. right? And it's like, as a generation, the enemy is doing everything he can to create so much noise that you just can't listen. The room, the, your heart has no room because it's so distracted for the word of Jesus. And if you're not even listening, you're, you're not going to hear at the heart level, right? And it makes us that hard type of soil. And so what I want to encourage you to do is become a good listener and I, to God's word. Like, be careful. Jesus said, let those who have ears hear. I can't see anybody with missing ears tonight, but there's a difference between being in a room with two ears and actually hearing at the heart level. 
And so if that means, you know, putting your phone outside or on do not disturb, whatever, to carve some time out to hear Jesus. You know, we're starting a 21-day fast tomorrow, and I mentioned that last week as Ignite, and I would encourage you to fast something. You know, you don't have to do, I'll be honest, I'm not doing a water fast, I'm not doing anything that radical, but like, you could do a partial fast. You could do one meal a day and replace the time that you would normally eat with eating, right? And it's like, or Daniel fast, no meats, no sweets, fast a meal a day, sun up, sun down, whatever, it, it doesn't matter. No, you don't have to tell anybody what you're doing or post about it on social media. In fact, I would encourage you not to. But the goal of fasting is not just to say no to your flesh. It's to say yes to more of God, right? So that the time and energy you would normally spend to one thing or feeding yourself, you would give to feeding yourself, right, spiritually. So I want to encourage you. It may be radical, something you've never done before, but just ask or consider uh, one way that you could just fast something for the next 21 days. Know that you're doing it with a group of people who are doing something, but don't just say no to something. Fill yourself with something else. Right. Um, and you can sign up at Ignite. Again, we're not going to ask what you're fasting or how you're fasting, but you'll just get a link every Monday from nine to ten. We're going to do a Zoom call. Guest speakers going to share a devotion. Students, people from other Ignite communities are going to share. And it's all about heart stuff, so like heart of surrender, heart of conviction, heart of action. But that it's helpful to have those little moments throughout the week to just feel like there's a check in. There's like something going on where I'm doing this with a community of people. And I would also encourage you, if you've never been part of the corporate prayer meetings, while you're doing something like this, come out to the Monday prayer, come out to the Thursday prayer and pray with other people. And something I've observed, this is totally separate from the message, just FYI, message has ended. I've just given you all some <laughs> practicals. I've seen this so many times where people who like don't know how to do a quiet time for more than 15 minutes and they get really distracted. Corporate prayer meetings are so helpful. Because even if you just show up with a resolve, like I'm going to come 10 minutes, I almost guarantee you'll stay longer than that, one. And two, once you're there, you're going to like, you learn how to pray by praying. It's more caught than taught. We could do 10 weeks on lessons on how to pray. But if you just show up for an hour a week to pray, maybe the longest you've ever prayed in your life. And you probably won't even be praying words the whole time. But just exposing yourself to being in God's presence, hearing other people pray scripture, hearing other people like make petitions for the campus all of a sudden your heart's going to come alive to these things that maybe you've never even cared about before too. It's like maybe you've always worked through a prayer list where it's like you prayed for grandma, aunts, and uncles, whatever, and you've never moved beyond that. And you're going to hear Maddie start going to town, crying out for God to save every, you know, Greek life on campus and somebody, Regan, praying for his basketball team. And all of a sudden you're like, your heart actually gets enlarged. It's like, we move beyond our tiny prayer list into God's word and start connecting with his heart. So if you've never been part of a corporate prayer meeting, I encourage you to do that. I encourage you the Bible studies. The other role of the Bible studies is getting seed in the barn. It's, it's hearing other people like study scripture together and get revelation. But let's move beyond Bible study for information to transformation and like get in relationship with one another and see how the word is bearing fruit in one another's lives and call each other to account on it. You know what I mean? Like as peers, be Matthew 13, good soil, right? And let's be a people who start reflecting transformation as a community. Does that make sense? Yeah.